Hello, hi, Mzanzi. Nolutando Ngakani here, and I am the head of news at Health for Mzanzi, where we unpack the complex but cohesive relationship between food and health. Joining me on this podcast, my colleague and co-sister, Sinesi Potom. Hey, Lulu, and to our listeners, welcome back to Sisters Without Shame, a no-holds-barred podcast that is proudly brought to you by Health for Mzanzi. Who still has time to suffer in silence when this podcast is a safe space for your medical shames? Every week, we hold your hand as we unpack those ever-so-embarrassing health questions you would not dare ask in public. No pus-filled lump or stinky armpit could put us off. We are your sisters in shame. It's beginning to feel a lot like silly season. The countdown to the festive season is finally in full swing. Can't believe it's nearly that time, but we almost get to close the chapter on 2021. Swear this year felt like 10 years. Oh, jiggy jiggy, it's December. (laughs) But in the meantime, our friends in crisis need a lending ear and shoulders to cry on. Now, as our listeners do know, on every episode, we listen to a voice note, read a WhatsApp or email message received from a Health Form Zanzi reader. Remember, your messages are confidential and we will never mention your name unless you want us to. Lulu, this week we have a friend from Rustenburg who actually wrote us an email. Anonza writes, It's been more than 12 years since I found out that I had prostate cancer. When I was just 50, my gut told me to get tested and it led to my diagnosis. I asked my doctor if he knew anyone I could connect with, but none of them would speak about their diagnosis. You know how it goes when men are afraid of something that they are not going to share. They don't call up another man and say, Hey, I have prostate cancer and I'm scared to death. What can I do about it? I wish someone had told me sooner about the importance of nutrition and prostate cancer. Most of the time, I couldn't feed myself. What you eat now can come back and bite you in the bum. We don't talk enough about cancer and nutrition. Sine and Lulu, can you please share with us men some advice on how to take care of ourselves with food? This week, we speak to Pretoria-based registered dietitian Jason van Yerden. Van Yerden is passionate about assisting people with their nutritional needs, whether those needs are weight management, medical nutrition therapy, sports nutrition, as well as pediatric nutrition. Jason, can you tell us how does diet affect prostate cancer? So let's talk around the situation of currently having cancer, is that you would first need to look at, as a dietitian, I always need to ask, okay, but where are you? You're being diagnosed, but what type of treatment are you doing? Because, you know, there's radiotherapy, there's chemotherapy, there's hormone therapy, you know, there's surgical interventions. So as well, depending in each of those subclasses, we also have specific nutrition as well. Then what I'd then love to do is let me give them a broad look at what we normally look at, and then we might look at each specifics a bit later. So in general, is that with cancer, is that we find that there's a massive link between fiber intake from food and reducing your risk and prevalence of cancer, even in some cases preventing the sort of aggressiveness of cancer. So but fiber. So we normally look at plant-based, but as soon as people think plant-based, we definitely don't need to think just vegetarian or just vegan. It just means we want to have a bit more focus on 
plant-based things. So let's say, for example, our fruits and our vegetables and our whole grains. So even, you know, whole wheat bread and all bran flakes. So fantastic sources of fiber that we're getting in. So we want to look at that. Then another aspect that we want to look at, and I often hear, but Jason, I don't want to get cancer or I currently have cancer. I've heard I must cut out all meat and especially red meat because that's not very bad for me. And that's not necessarily the case. So if you're looking at the research, yes, is that you can still have meat, especially red meat. We don't want to be overdoing it. We normally try and limit that a little bit. But if we then have the choice, we ideally rather want to be focusing on white meat as well. So let's say, for example, our fish and our chicken, you know, those type of aspects we want to rather get in. And especially that we've seen as an interesting link with fish, actually, getting in our omega-3 has been shown to be in a positive association with managing cancer, you know, as well. So again, it's things that we're taking in and things to avoid. But now on meat, even with that is that they've seen that red meat is that we don't necessarily need to cut it out. It's not the meat itself, but it's how we cook the meat as well. Let's say doing a poiki or a stew. That is fine. But what we've seen is, is that, for example, if you braai, you know, in South Africa, we love to braai. But when you have meat on a very high temperature and the fat, it's not the meat, it's the fat that then goes down onto the braai coals and comes back onto the meat. It's the chemical change there that is more carcinogenic than the red meat itself. So do we need to completely take meat out? No. And something else we need to look at with that is that if we take too much protein out, it can also have a negative effect. So that's why working with a dietitian is important to say, okay, look, we need to still get in a certain amount of protein, especially if you're doing something like chemotherapy for prostate cancer. So then cutting out too much meat can definitely have its negative effects as well. You know, then we're even looking at different quality types of fats. But even the biggest part about prostate cancer or cancers in general is that a very interesting study showing that you're five times more likely to die of cancer cachexia, which is cancer malnutrition. So as in not getting enough food in, you know, wasting away essentially, compared to dying of the cancer itself, which is astonishing. I mean, it's not 5%, 10%, it's 500% more. So that's why we often see people get diagnosed with cancer, completely cut things out. And it can actually be to their detriment as well. So cancer is beautifully complicated. Um, and I'd like to go through a few more specifics on that later. Can any foods help with prostate cancer? It's very interesting. Probably the most talked about one in nutrition is actually a compound called lycopene. So lycopene is actually mostly found in tomatoes, actually. So for men, please get in your tomatoes. Females as well, lycopene is not just, you know, obviously females don't have prostates, but the thing is lycopene is still anti-inflammatory, all those good things. But for men specifically, there is a link, not very, very high, strong research or significance, but there is still a very good link between lycopene consumption and men. But now lycopene, we normally look at tomatoes, but you can also get it in, let's say, watermelon, pawpaw, or papaya, but not at those high levels. But another interesting dietitian concept is, is that we have to look at the term bio 
availability. So even though we can take tomatoes in, the amount of lycopene we actually absorb is actually not that much. But if we cook tomatoes, more of the lycopene is more bioavailable. We can actually absorb and use more. And there's very little circumstances that you'd hear a dietitian say this, but actually processed tomatoes. So let's say tomato sauce, purees, our soups, they normally have a higher concentration of lycopene. So I'm not saying have you know, all tomato sauce every day. Of course, it's salt and all the other things, but actually getting in your more kind of concentrated sources of tomatoes are much higher sources of lycopene. But as well, something as almost understood about that is that that lycopene only stays in your system for a certain amount of time. So it's not that once a week, I'm going to have a tomato smoothie and I've got my lycopene for the week. It's actually better to still be having your tomato or tomato puree or like in a sauce or something throughout the whole week as well. Also, tomatoes high in fiber, helping you at what we spoke about already about your fiber intake. So guys, get those tomatoes in. That's the one aspect. This is the one time where tomato biryani like really could do a world of good. <laughs> and you know, now can we really imagine the smoothie fanatics going crazy with the tomato juice? What you mentioned, you know, in the types of food you can have, because I was worried about the poor people, if they will be able to afford that. And tomato, you can literally grow it in your garden. So it's a very accessible type of food. I like that a lot. And I'm so glad you've mentioned the juice, because yes, lycopene is a compound that, you know, if you say if you juice tomatoes, you can still get. But then if you're juicing it, let's rather say it would be better to blend it, that you're still at least getting some of the fiber of it. So please don't just get tomato juice, get the actual tomato blended, get it all in there, more the better. But yes, it is more accessible because fiber, important. If it's your spinach, your morog, you know, any, yeah. you know, all of our vegetables, we must get that in there. Even a bit of tomato and onion mix, of course, no, the salt is a little bit higher. We're obviously in moderation, but it really can help. What kind of foods do you absolutely need to avoid? What actually prompted us to reach out to you was because we spoke to a survivor who said that like he's totally avoiding things like alcohol and which is an obvious one and also red meat. So is red meat really supposed to be as demonized as it's being in terms of prostate cancer? Yes, exactly. But it's so important. And that's why it's dangerous for us to be have a blanket term. We always need to look at it, things in context. So if you're now again looking at meat, the actual red meat, excluding the fat, the thing is that they, they have linked it that if you have too much red meat, yes, there is a link to cancer. But you know, it's a great source of heme iron. You know, it's actually quite a good source of protein. But again, we said that it would be advised to rather have more white meats. And again, it's rather the fat on meat and how we normally eat meat that is the problem. Let's say, for example, let's go extreme. You were to boil meat. For example, we thought that we'd do that using extreme, but the thing is, is that there's no heat burning, should I say, of the meat and the fat that can cause that carcinogenic compound. So that's why if you're making a soup or a stew, fantastic, but brying on a heat, high heat where the fat is burning, changing compounds, that's where it's dangerous. But now that is just meat on its own. If we're not looking at processed meats that have nitrates, so let's say our poloni and the stereo two, three years ago that was trying to kill us. But now we've now got, you know, in poloni and ham and, you know, all these type of things, bully beef, those nitrates are definitely linked to cancer. 
So we do want to be minimizing it as well, especially if you do have the cancer, but then we need to be making sure we're still getting in enough protein. That's the other aspect of it. So now that's the type of quality of the meat itself. Now the other part about meat is not the meat, but it's the fat that comes with the meat, which is actually separate. And what we need to look at is there's very good research showing that it's the quality of fat that is more important. We ideally don't want to be having too high levels of fat. But as of what we've seen is later, for example, if you're doing chemical treatment, hormone treatment rather, hormone treatment with managing prostate cancer, is that if you have too little fat as well, that can also affect testosterone, which depending on the circumstance can be good or bad. That's why it's quite specific to the type of treatment you're doing if you have cancer. But we're getting back to the topic of the quality of fat. So that's fat is... They normally look at it as just a whole. We're trying to aim for 20 to 30% of our energy coming from fat. But then you get trans fats, saturated fats, monounsaturated fats. And then we're also getting our polyunsaturated fats. And some are good and some are maybe not as so good in the context of it. So that's why also cutting out too much fat can also have its negatives. So everything in context. So let's break that down. So if we're looking at trans fats, so they are definitely not good for, you know, in the context of cancer, but those are more of our hydrogenated oils. So if we're looking at cheap oils that are overheated over and over, if someone's making slop chips the whole day and the oil changed to like a green, darker, how it looks, and as of smoking more, you're literally changing the chemical composition of that oil. And then that can definitely become carcinogenic. So now that's why, for example, the type of oil that you use, let's say, for example, if you're using canola oil, which is then, for example, high in omega-3, it can actually be more beneficial. So cutting out fats, again, not all necessary, but also our trans fats. So let's say, for example, our cookies and our donuts and even our margarines, our more solid fats at room temperatures. We want to be trying to limit those. So that's and also a lot of our takeaways. We want to try and avoid those. But then you get saturated fats, which is as well, we want to be limiting. So just a quick note on trans fats. At no stage in our life do we even need one milligram of it. It's actually not just a natural to the body. So if you've never taken trans fats, there's no safe limit. But the thing is, is you want to try and cut it out completely. Now, saturated fat is important. We do need it for our hormones, especially testosterone. But having too much of it can cause an issue. So saturated sources are, for example, butter and then more of our solid fats at room temperature. So let's say the skin on our chicken, the fat on your meat, the fat on bultong, those type of hard fats, even in our cookies and cakes, we're using a lot of butter. That is saturated fat. So technically speaking, from a dietitian standpoint, we want less than 7% of our diet to be saturated fat. Now, look, that's difficult to calculate. You know, so if you're a dietitian, but in general, we want to be limiting our saturated fat intake. But then we're getting into our monounsaturated fats, which is very good for the body, anti-inflammatory. And there's, there's a good link, should I say, rather having more monounsaturated fats compared to, let's say, saturated. So monounsaturated is going to be our nuts. It's going to be our avocado. You know, it's going to be our olives, olive oil, those type of things, which are very good. But then we also then going into one of the more interesting ones into our polyunsaturated fats. 
So that is then going to be our omega-3 and our omega-6. Now, what they've also seen is having, if your ratios out between omega-3 and omega-6, it can cause an issue as in too little omega-3 and too much omega-6. So even with regards to omega-6, so that can also be a bit of our, um, sometimes our cheaper oils, let's say for example, sunflower oil, for example, and a lot of our takeaways and our chips and our pretzels and our takeaways or kind of the fats that we normally find in packets, not always, we're just oversimplifying. But the thing is that we normally get too much omega-6. Now, what we want to try and do is, as I mentioned, improve our ratio between omega-3 and omega-6. So omega-3 source is going to be our fish. So again, it also comes back into rather have more white meat and getting your omega-3. You see, so that's us as dietitians, we know we simplify it. We say rather focus on getting more fish in, ideally two times a week. So more of, let's say, for example, our tuna and, you know, hake and you can't even look at salmon, but I mean, goodness, that's expensive. So <laughs> maybe as a treat. But now what we want to do is also looking at even omega-3 supplements as well. It's normally quite a cheap way of getting omega-3 in. But we can also get omega-3 in with a few of our nuts as well. And even avocado has a bit of omega-3 in there. So again, avocado, great monounsaturated fat and high in fiber. And it has omega-3. So like avos as well. So that's why we see fat on its own. Again, too much, bad. Too little, also bad. Now that's just the quantity. Now we also have to look at the quality through the day. You forgot the alcohol aspect. <laughs> the alcohol, that's the one as well. That's very important. So yes, very interesting is that every single bit of alcohol is carcinogenic. There's, even if you have heart, like 100 mils of beer, the alcohol in there is carcinogenic. It's not that for some foods that you reach a certain level, then it becomes bad. Alcohol in general is not great for cancer. How then do you adjust to the dietary needs? Or let's say you've got like a cancer patient in your household. How do you adjust to the dietary needs of the person then with the prostate cancer? There's two massive things that we look at with regards to the long-term success. And that is going to be what is your dietary routine and what is your dietary environment? As in, it's all good and well that we say, look, we're going to have more vegetables. But if the vegetables are not in the house, if the vegetables are not available, if we're not buying the fish, for example, it's difficult to actually do it. So it's very important for us to make sure that the, should I say the better, I don't want to say better, but the, the more healthier foods are more available. And the problem foods, even if it is alcohol, if someone's struggling with that, rather trying to avoid that and not letting it be available as well. So that's just with regards to environment. But with routine, we should then try that at each meal or snack in the day, we should have the right options available. So let's say, for example, how a family can really support someone is, for example, for breakfast. So let's say, for example, having oats and it's a all bran and, you know, low GI toast and peanut butter. Having that available, because if there's only, but let's say there's a very processed cereal that's there and it's the only thing that's there for breakfast, it's going to make it difficult to support that person. So you want to have those right meals with you. But even snacks, we normally just look at the main meals. But what about snacks? I mean, fruit, we spoke about the fiber is fantastic. So then as snacks, then have, let's say, fruits available. Let's again have like, let's say a slice of toast and peanut butter on there or avocado that's on there. 
but if we get snacky and the only thing to have is chips, again, it's going to be difficult for us to go that way, you know, to eat healthier. So even in the afternoon snack as well, we can also look at some healthy snacks there, even like popcorn. That's popcorn is fantastic. It's low GI, high in fiber. If you say, Jason, but I want to have that crunch and a bit of saltiness, rather get popcorn compared to now, let's say chips. But on the other hand, if you're using that old green oil, um, to make the popcorn that's also bad so that's why we always need to look at things in context but then at the meals the big guidelines are is that so if we have to summarize everything you say okay jason it sounds nice you spoke a lot about this type of fat and fiber but how do we actually do this what is a take-home summary guide of how the plate should look and that is that half of the plate must or should be vegetables but it's more of our non-starchy vegetables so let's say for example salads the tomatoes you know it's going to then be you know our carrots our broccoli our cauliflower our spinach our maroch the more watery should i say vegetables over there then a quarter of the plate we want to also then look at more of our starches but even our starchy vegetables so let's say for example starchy vegetables can be potato, butternut, pumpkin, but other starch can also be later, for example, rice, pasta, and bread, for example. So that's a quarter of the plate. And in the last quarter of the plate, we ideally want to be having protein. So we can have, for example, meat, but maybe with a little bit less of the fat. Even chicken is fine. So the white, you know, the actual meat of the chicken is good, but not too much of the skin because that's also quite high in saturated fat. We can even have pork, for example, just maybe fat, a pork is quite fatty, maybe again, cutting off the fat there. And then we can look at things like even eggs and we can look at beans because beans are very high in fiber as well, a good source of protein, a bit of starch in there as well. Even some cheese, for example, can work there. So that's a quarter of the plate. And then basically throughout the plate, just a little bit, just a bit of fat. So let's say, for example, using a bit of oil to make the meat, you're then using a bit of avocado, using a bit of olives, for example. And that's kind of the takeaway for us to have. So again, to answer your question, I find it so important. The main thing I focus on is how do I support a family member with regards to cancer is to say, help have the things available, have the breakfast there, have the snacks there, have the lunches, they have the food available. And as well, if you're dishing out, know that we ideally want to be having half of that veg, quarter starch, quarter protein as well. So that's my biggest advice to give in general. So what is a general nutrition law every man should follow no matter what their age is? The first bit of answer I'm going to give you is maybe because I'm also a bit of a sports dietitian, but exercise also plays a big role. Let food be our medicine, but exercise is also fantastic. That I've also seen with cancer prevention, exercise is really, really important. The guidelines are 150 minutes of 150 minutes to 300 minutes of cardio a week and two full body resistance training sessions a week as well. So that's for all ages. Look, from 18 plus, that's the guidelines. If you're under 18, you actually should be exercising about 60 minutes every day. So that's the thing that we normally don't look at when we talk about cancer, but so important with there. But no matter what your age, I find that, um, I think especially for men, sometimes we find like, no, I must have a massive piece of meat 
and you know vegetables you hear many men say oh, but you know the animals are eating the vegetables i don't need to eat the vegetables you know i'm eating the animal but us as guys we normally struggle to get our fiber in so the biggest the, the biggest tips i can give is because if you look at the guidelines it mentions that for adults we need to get 25 to 35 grams of fiber a day so for many men don't reach that and that's also why i go back to what i said how can i support someone with cancer is that it's very difficult if you only focus on focusing on getting fiber at lunch and supper like having a salad it's very difficult to reach that 25 grams that's why focusing on your breakfast and your snacks as well so us as guys at all ages fiber is a massive thing you know we want to be limiting our alcohol again alcohol is not necessary if you do drink try and limit it as well also a non-dietary thing is obviously the smoking as well we ideally want you know a bit more a little bit more plant-based many men as soon as i say plant-based they hear vegetarian and vegan yes that's part of it but you don't you can really have your meats but as we spoke about more the leaner meats as well that's the guidelines you know for that you know get some healthy fats in as well it's a nuts avocado good quality oils and get some good sleep just to cherish it all again guys your routine and your environment set yourself up for success is that have those fruits with you otherwise if you're on the road the whole day and you don't have lunch you're going to stop somewhere and get some takeaways maybe you know or getting a pie which also might have more nitrates in it so have those healthy foods with you get the exercise in set yourself up for success thank you for joining this week's episode of sisters without shame jason for more tips on men's nutrition, check out healthformzanzi.co.za. Now remember, if you are in a medical jam, you can send an email to hello at healthformzanzi.co.za. Or you can even send us an SOS to 076-132-0454. We will never blue tick you, baby. know about you Sine, but I'm always just so blown away by the power of food as medicine. Although nutrition plays a role in the development of prostate cancer, no specific diet can prevent or eradicate this disease. Prostate cancer, like other cancers, is an extremely complex process. Lulu, nutrition is important for prostate cancer survivorship. Lulu, nutrition is important for prostate cancer survivorship care to help achieve a healthy weight, reduce treatment side effects, and reduce the risk of developing other chronic diseases. I think what I was most relieved to learn from Jason was how healthy eating is not as expensive as we think it is. If you want it, grow it sister or brother. All you need is space nyana, tools and water. An aquaponics pioneer, Mosesi Mosesi, shared a great guide on health from Zansi recently for South Africans who really want to grow their own backyard gardens. Tell them when a sister bows, huh? Who says organic is something you buy in a supermarket? The soil can be your supermarket too, most. That brings us to the end of episode 15 of Sisters Without Shame, proudly brought to you by Healthform Zanzi. From me, Lulu Nakani, And me, Sinesipo Tom. Have a great week and remember to show us some love by sharing this podcast with a friend. <laughs>